Good evening, and I, I'm on. So we do and are very grateful for that. And for those who operate the sound system and make sure it's ready to go. I'm going to do something as we begin tonight that I rarely do. I, in fact, I kind of, well, I just rarely do it. <clears throat> and I'm going to kind of tell a short story and uh, that has no relevance to anything, really. Um, and one of the reasons I don't normally do it is, I, you know, I got kicked out of school in the second grade for skipping recess. So I'm kind of a, you know, no-nonsense kind of guy sometimes, but my wife would never say that. But anyway, I just wanted to tell the story because there was a time in my life when I was, the Lord had, had blessed us in our church in a very unusual way, and we had multiple baptisms one night as we were meeting for our Sunday evening service. And uh, as a consequence, the service got a little bit long. You can turn in your Bibles to John 17 if you want while I'm telling the story. But uh, the service got a little bit long, and it was near time for us to be dismissed, actually, when I finally came to the pulpit. But I felt compelled, being the young and eager and faithful minister of the Lord, I was not going to let that crowd of people leave without hearing from the Word of God. So I just simply said, I know it's a little late in the hour, but we're going to hear a short message from the Word of God. Well, when I said short message, I had an elder stand up in the middle of the congregation said, and if you believe that, you're a visitor. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not given for the shortest uh, messages in the world. I'm not known for that, but I feel very comfortable here, even though I do, you know, transcend the allotted time period sometimes, because after all, I'm following Jay. And so... <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so anyway, let's look at the Word of God and with the reverence that it would necessarily command. And if you would, you can stand if you would like, and if you are able. But I would like to read the entirety of John 17 once again. When Jesus had spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the word world existed. 
I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you have gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I come from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, and they, <clears throat> that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even, the even though the world does not know me, I know you, and these uh, know that you have sent me. I have made to, known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me be in them and I in them. I think, please be seated. I think it would behoove us to, to be reminded of the fact that this prayer is one that our Lord prays to the Heavenly Father and that his disciples, as he prayed this prayer, were privileged to hear him in his intimate relationship and conversation with the true and the living God, his Father. And as we look into this word and we have this recorded for us, through the Gospel of Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
we also understand that these are very intimate moments between our Lord and the true and the living God, his Heavenly Father. We would also want to re be reminded of the fact that we are hearing him pray this prayer at the conclusion, really, of the kind of the, the Passover uh, preparation for his final um, trip where he would cross the Brook Kidron and go to the Mount of Olives, be arrested, be condemned, persecuted, and crucified, completing the work that God had given him to do. And as we look at that, we also, as we understand that, we need to also take note of the fact that the disciples were probably pretty much confused about what was about to happen. They probably didn't understand all that was going to transpire. And even in a matter of hours would probably be abandoning their Lord himself. So it was a difficult time for the disciples as they were confused. They were uncertain of the future. They didn't know what was happening. And so when Jesus prays this prayer, it becomes very significant that we hear him say, I'm praying these things, Father that they might have my joy fulfilled in their life, and they might know true and authentic joy. But <clears throat> as we now look at it, I want to... I know that we kind of brushed over this uh, entire prayer in a way that it was, it's, it's deserving of much more intense and much more um, focus and explanation than what we have given it thus far. But what I want to do tonight is, in this concluding session, is walk back through the prayer and then come to that portion where we hear the Lord praying for his disciples. Uh, so, we begin again with the word. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. And you will recall that we emphasized the fact that it was the time has come, the hour is now. That our focus is elevated from the mundane, from the horizontal, from our daily experiences. And we have to confess that it can be difficult when we look out and around us and we find uh, the uncertainties that not only are ours and our personal individual experiences as we run our race, but think of our nation and the world and the condition of the world, probably not so different than what it was when Jesus was praying this prayer. Just different manifestations of the very same problems is what we probably see. But the focus is lifted from all of that, and it is centered right on God the Father. And in doing that, we understand that what, <laughs> what Jesus is wanting, is praying about, and what Jesus is highlighting as he is praying, is that there's been this massive eternal plan since before the very foundation of the world. And that God has been working that plan through his creation, through the establishment and the formation of a nation of Israel, and through his working with that nation of Israel, 
even the good and the bad that they experienced, uh, conditioned by the way they were responding to him and relating to him. But he was working his plan all the way up to the time of sending his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as he is doing, and he is, as we understand that he is working that plan, we hear the conclusion of this prayer where he's saying, I'm not just praying for these that have been following me, these that have seen me in the flesh, these have known me, but I'm praying for all of those who will believe as a consequence of encountering the words that I have given to them, my words through them. Now, who would that include? And how relevant is this passage and our understanding and our privilege to view the uh, intimate moments between Jesus and his Heavenly Father? Well, it's extremely relevant, and it is absolutely uh, of the utmost importance for us because, you see, we are those who have believed through the Word that God has given his disciples. And so he is praying for you and for me, and we're going to look at that a little bit uh, closer. But notice that in the first five verses, his prayer is centered on what it's all about, this massive eternal plan and what God is working in the life of his people and in, his, in the, in the uh, history and in the, his activity and his involvement with his creation, what he is doing is magnifying his glory. And you'll remember we distinguish between the Shekinah glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is that glory that was witnessed on the mountain um, when, Mo when Moses was up on the mountain and had to be hid in the cleft of the rock. We understand it was that glory that was kind of uh, fore foreshadowed in the cloud that hovered over the tabernacle, that indwelt the temple in Jerusalem, and that ultimately left the temple in Jerusalem. It is that Shekinah glory that Jesus laid aside in order that was that glory that he had with the Father before the foundation of the earth. He laid that aside in order to, to come into this world to complete the work that the Father had for him to do. And in completing that work, he was glorifying God. Now, again, what is it to glorify God? It is the, the uh, foundational meaning of glory or glorifying someone is to unfold their very nature. And so when Jesus spoke, when Jesus performed miracles, when he cast out demons, whatever Jesus did, he did to unfold the very nature of God up to and including his last breath on the cross and the testimony of his resurrection and he would even see uh, his disciples would even see his ascension into the father all of it that he did was to unfold the nature of god for it was jesus who said to um, his disciples in john 14 he who has seen me has seen the Father. So we see that Jesus unfolded and glorified 
the Father, since they... Now, there is this wonderful and magnificent thing that our pastor reminded us of this past Sunday when he talked about the fact that God created to his glory a people for himself. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I'm not going to dwell long there, but I do want to point us to the example of God revealing himself to Moses as he called Moses to himself. He called him through a burning bush that was literally on fire, but not consumed by that fire. I mean, somewhat miraculous. Would capture your attention, and you would want to investigate. But the first thing that God did as Moses approached that bush was reveal to him his holiness. He said, remove your sandals. Remove your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Now, it's not insignificant, and it should never fall uh, on deaf ears when we contemplate the fact that God had revealed, the first thing he revealed to Moses was his holiness. Then he revealed, of course, his sovereignty. Uh, And some people, not just his sovereignty, but his all-knowing, his omniscience. For he knew when he talked to Moses, he said to Moses, I have heard the cry of my people. I know what's going on in their life. I understand their suffering. Therefore, you go because I'm about to do something for them in the deliverance of them. And then that is is where he manifests his sovereignty. For he declared that he, in his sovereignty, was going to deliver his people. Now there's an interesting passage of scripture that we probably would want to look at, and we may look at it here in a moment. Uh, But we see that God has given Jesus those that he, that were his. Now that in and of of itself says that before the foundation of the world, God's plan included those that would be saved. They were his, and he gave them to Christ Jesus as he was forming the special people for himself. And therefore, Jesus gave eternal life to them. And then we'll jump down to verse 4 quickly so we can move on. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have, you gave me to do. Now, Jesus completed a lot of things that, that God had given him to do. For one thing, we read in the chapter 1, verse 1 of the Gospel of John, is that Jesus is the one through whom all things were created and for whom all things were created. And if that be true, then Jesus has done a great work in that the Father, in the Son, literally created 
all that there is, seen and unseen, everywhere. So he has completed that work. And then there are those manifestations of our Lord as you move through the Old Testament. And one of the most striking ones to me that I would just point to is the time when Joshua had crossed the River Jordan in obedience to God in order to possess the Promised Land as God had ordained it to be possessed and had promised it to Abraham. (laughs) And forgive me, but what kind of a military commander, you know, I hung around the military a couple of days, but I've never seen anybody disable an entire army on enemy territory before they went to battle. But that's exactly what Joshua did because God said, listen, I want you to now circumcise all the males in your army. Now, you're not going to do a lot of fighting in that kind of a situation. But, Moses was walking out from the, or not Moses, but Joshua was walking out from the camp. And who did he meet? He met one, he met one with a drawn sword. And Joshua said, are you for us or are you against us? And these words are powerful just to hear them. He didn't answer whether or not he was for them or against them. He just simply said, I came as the captain of the host of the Lord. I don't know what that would say to Joshua. I, I can't even imagine what it said to him as he was crossing the Jordan about ready to enter the promised land. But when I hear Jesus say to me in Matthew 28 and verse 20, and I am with you all of the days, I'm hearing a commitment of the absolute host of heaven being aligned together in the accomplishment of God's purpose and in my life and in your life and in this church's life they are the captain of the host or he is the captain of the host of the Lord so anyway he he had completed that work uh, through the manifestations throughout the Old Testament but the work that is uh, fundamentally uh, spoken of here as we see Jesus having said that I have completed the work, is that painful, wretched, blood-paved path up which he walked to Golgotha. And the crucifixion he suffered on the cross. That is the work that Jesus is speaking about. The fulfillment of God's redemptive plan for all of those who would believe upon him to the glory of the Father. As we look at these first five verses, and the reason I have focused on them so intently, is to help us understand that you and I come to this church, we gather as the people of God, the body of Christ, and we do so Because God is working his eternal plan, and he has chosen to include me. 
And he has chosen to include you. And he has established this body. And in his sovereignty, he is working his plan through this body. And there is a humbling aspect of that that should cause us to crumble to our knees and, and just praise our Heavenly Father with this deep, resonating sense of gratitude in our heart towards him. And there is an equally powerful weight of the gravity of the responsibility that God has given to us. For it is his intention to magnify his glory through this, his body, and through each of us individually. And we must never lose sight of the fact that that's what the church is all about. And God works, mighty works, and he blesses us with unspeakable blessings. And we live in an absolute, eternal, and unshakable hope. For our names are literally engraved in the granite of eternity. And we know that we will be with the Father individually. But yet we're to be his people. And we are to serve him. So, in verse 6, the Lord begins to identify who it is that he is praying for. He said, Father, I have manifested your name to the people you have gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you, have, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you have gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. There is the dichotomy that we must reckon with that is identified, and our Lord's heart is just filled with pathos and love and concern for the people of God. Those that God has given him as he prays. But he is not praying for the entire world, nor everybody in the world. He is praying for those who are the elect of God. Now you and I don't know who they are to totally and completely in the end. We must be faithful in evangelism. But what we do know is those who have heard the word of God, who have encountered God in such a way as to appreciate his holiness, in a way that they feel the weight of their sin, that causes them to cry out for help and redemption and grace, and then God reveals that grace to them in Christ Jesus, and he gifts them with the ability to place their trust in him as they repent of their sin and come to Christ. Now, 
That is a work, a, a, a miraculous work in and of itself. Now, I would ask you to just look over my head, all six foot two, buffed up body of me, right? Amen? There's no amens out there. Candy said amen, but she's got God's perspective. But you look back there, and we see a child or anyone bear testimony to their redemption, their salvation in Christ Jesus through the experience of baptism. Do we understand that that is more than just a person coming to know Christ? It is that, and we rejoice in that. But it is a picture not only of what God has done in their life, but it is a picture of the glory of God because he is the only one that could do it in their life and bring them to himself. No one else could. So we need to appreciate that. And if you look to 1 Peter chapter 2 and 9 and following, I'm not going to turn over there because I'm already too long-winded, but... What does Peter say? Remembering that Jesus had given the word to his disciples and those who believe upon them, that word is given for them. But you, you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a special people set aside unto God. Those are the ones for whom Jesus is praying. He is not praying for those who would somehow try to accomplish an establishment of a relationship with the Heavenly Father, with God Almighty, through some means of their own, through some religious practice, some religious work, whatever that work might be, however minuscule or however grand it might be. No commitment, no demonstration or or, or projection of loyalty, or work that is supposed to be ascribed to God is going to accomplish the new birth in Christ Jesus. It is just not going to do it. The only way that that happens is by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ Jesus. Pastor's looking at his watch. How am I doing? <laughs> Good. So, we understand that he's praying for the church. He's praying for us. Now remember, these are intimate moments between Jesus and God. This is not a sermon. This is not a teaching. He's not seated on the mountaintop. No, he is bowed before the Father. And he's praying to Almighty God. And he is interceding for us already before he even goes to the cross. There are two aspects here. 
Jesus gave the word, and they received the word, all of it under the tutelage of the Holy Spirit of God. And um, the power of Almighty God as he gives them to our Lord. The world, the fact that he doesn't pray for the world, and there is this separate people out of the world, in no way implies that Almighty God and Jesus Christ does not have authority over the world. Because that world is going to be judged by Jesus. And it is going to be condemned by Jesus. And, and, and when we think about the world, we're thinking about all of those who would follow some philosophical system that would place itself against the Father or try to accomplish some kind of a relationship with God through religious practices. There's much I know that could be said about that, but I'll leave it to a longer-winded pastor or preacher. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And I would challenge you to go home and reread this tonight and see if that's not one of the prom- most prominent themes throughout his prayer. He continually says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those you've given me. I'm praying for those who will believe on them through the word that you have given me. But I'm not praying for the world. Anyway, all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And last week we talked about how we're glorified, or how he's glorified in us. First, is through his redemption of us, because nobody but he can accomplish that. He's glorified in us as he calls us to sanctification and he's working in our lives to sanctify us. He is glorified in us as he works through his body, his church, to establish his kingdom, to establish his church, and to fulfill the purposes of that church uh, and of God through the church uh, until he returns again. So he, he is glorified in his body. There are some things that are so clear, it seems like, in the Word. And it challenges me, I don't know about you, but it challenges me to think about the conditions of many of the churches that we encounter. And it causes me to truly want to be careful that we do not slide or that we are not seduced into a mindset that is more of a Christian humanism than it is an authentic faith in Christ. His church, my friends, is intended to be the instrument through whom he will glorify himself. (laughs) Even in The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter uh, 3, I think it is, verse 10 says, It is through the church that he is making his manifold wisdom known unto the powers and the principalities in the heavenlies.
So, and then his prayer. We find out and discover what he's praying for. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And last week we pointed out the fact that God intends and is watching over his people, and he is calling them continually to himself, and when we drift apart from him, or we volitionally choose to depart from him, he is always going to be working in our life as individuals, and he is always going to be working in our life as a church to call us back to himself, and it behooves us to be individually willing to hear the Spirit of God and not quench the Spirit, but allow the conviction of that sin in our life that we might repent of that sin in our individual lives or even within our families, but and especially within our church. We need to be careful to cry out to the Father, God, give us wisdom to understand what you are speaking to us through your word, that we might respond to it. And if it is with encouragement, then we praise you for it, God. But we know that the word of God is good for correction, and it is also good for rebuke that we might be brought to repentance. And let us never think that repentance is a dirty word or a regrettable experience in the life of a believer because repentance is nothing more than the doorway of the fullness of the joy of the Lord in our life, ever-growing, because you and I and this church is being sanctified unto God by his work in us. So, he's praying for us out of this deep concern that is manifested both by the Father and by himself that we be kept as one. And as we are called to the Father, as we are submitted to him, as we're seeking to glorify him, as we worship to his glory, we live to his glory, and we seek to continually grow in our relationship with him and our own holiness, my friends, God is watching over us. He keeps us. And that's what he's praying for. And he says, while I was with them, I kept them, but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak to the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. You know, <clears throat> let me just say it quickly. <laughs> if you're going to find your life, you're going to have to give it away. But you're not going to give it to me. Lord have mercy, I'm trying to handle my own. Giving it to the Father. Putting Him as the absolute priority in everything you think, every choice you make, everything you do, 
and worshiping Him in gratitude and humility will bring a joy that is not even capable of being attained in any other way than a full relationship with our Heavenly Father in Christ Jesus. Okay, so he's given them the... the uh, he's given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So we see that Jesus is praying that we be kept in unity by God. Now, and he's praying that we have the fullness of God's joy as he's interceding for us. But now he's praying that we be sanctified. Now, early on in my Christian experience, I came to understand the word sanctified as being set aside for the purposes of God. You ever heard that? And that's true, isn't it? But we're set aside for the purposes of God in order that we might fulfill the purposes of God. And that requires that there's a continual change in our life. Now, immediately, there has to be the crucifixion of the flesh if we're going to be sanctified in our lives. That's why in Romans 6, 6, the Apostle Paul says, I am crucified to the world. I think it's Galatians 6.14 that he repeats that very same word. I am crucified to the world. You see, we're not in the world. We're not of the world, but we are in the world. And we are to live in this world with, our, with an understanding that we are totally committed to the purposes of God and to growing in His holiness which is a very central part of his purpose for our lives. So, that does a lot to dispel this thought of once saved, always saved. And I have stories I'd tell you about that. Is that a true statement? Well, yeah, it is. But is it understood correctly? A much better way of saying it is if you have been called to the kingdom of God by the creator of this world who has changed you in such a magnificent way and who is watching over you, you are going to be you are going to fulfill his purpose for your life and you will persevere as a saint and nobody can change that. Nobody can take you out of his hand. Yes, once you are truly and authentically a citizen in the kingdom of God, it will never change. But we need to remember that that's the foundation for our sanctification because then we're not of the world 
even though we're in the world. And then he says, we must sanctify. You must be sanctified. Now, who's involved in the sanctifying of the Spirit, of of, uh, our sanctification? Bear with me just a few moments. I'm going to make these important points, and then we're going to move on. First of all, it is the Word of God. Jesus said, sanctify them in your truth. Your Word is truth. There is no Christian growth apart from the Word of God. There is wonderful, magnificent teachings that are really true and honest, and we enjoy them, we embrace them, we are instructed by them, and yes, but it is always the Word of God that has the power to penetrate very deep into our lives and continually change us into the image of Christ that God would have us to have or be. And then there's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is involved in the sanctification process through the mortification of our sin. John Owen, when he writes in his writing about mortification of the sin, tells us how it is that this is accomplished. He says, first of all, the Spirit of God shows the true nature of sin and its wages, which is death. Now here's a practical application that I would offer to you and if you want, but every moment of every day you're going to be making a decision, I'm going to be making a decision. And I'm standing at that moment of decision, I'm standing at a fork in the road, you know the poem. But <clears throat> I have a choice to make. I'm either going to choose to fall back into sin that has this remnant that still lingers in my body, according to the Apostle Paul. And it is a force, as we focus upon it with our mind, that kind of builds up and it becomes dominant and it controls our life more than what we would want it to do to control our life. And we can give way to it far too easy. But the thing we need to recognize is the very choice, to make that choice is to make a choice of death. For the wages of sin is death. And praise be to God that he has poured the Holy Spirit of God out and that he is, in fact, God and he is present with us to convict us of that sin to create a tremendous grief and regret over that sin in our lives to bring us to a renewed repentance. And as we repent of that sin, we then become more like Christ on a continual, continual basis. Showing believers, he says, second thing he does is he shows believers the beauty, excellence, usefulness, and the need of holiness. Oh, sometimes we see this holiness thing as something that is a burden that's placed upon us that is grievous to us in some way. But the pursuit of holiness is the most exciting, most wonderful, most magnificent thing that we could ever experience. For we are becoming complete and we are becoming what God created us to be.
continually. And then finally, by showing believers that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and the gospel are all concerned that we should be saved from sin to be made holy just as God is holy. We have been lifted as we look at this prayer to understand God's eternal plan. But as we witness this prayer, as we see these intimate moments with our, our Lord, with our Heavenly Father, and He's making that intercession for us, we are reminded of what the author of the book of Hebrews in chapter 7 says. He has been glorified. He has ascended unto the Father. And he has been seated at the right hand of God from which he continues to make intercession for us. So as we've been lifted and we see this intercession of our Lord and our Savior, the one who loved us and gave himself for us, then we can be tremendously encouraged. We can know a tremendous amount of confidence. We do not have to, to shake or quake before the circumstances and the transitions that this world is going through because we have been brought to a kingdom that is unshakable and that will last throughout all of eternity and which he and in which he has included all those who would believe and he has embraced us and enveloped us in the power of almighty god expressed through the love of our heavenly father to us you need to finish the prayer let's pray or whoever's praying. Who's praying for us tonight? Okay.